0: Welcome to the Cheeky Investor Podcast. This episode, we're covering a highly contagious, highly popular, highly debatable topic, pay down the mortgage or invest. Um, I see it a lot over Facebook groups. Uh, Gareth, we get
1: asked a reasonable amount of times uh, through Messenger. Yep. Um, It's the big, yeah, it's the big question for people, I suppose, of that late 20s to say mid 30s probably, Phil, would you say? Um, You know, they're... They've earned enough money to start looking at investing. They're keen on getting in the market. They've been told, particularly in Australia, but we know in the US it's the same, in the UK it's the same. They've been told for a long time throughout their life, you'd have to buy a home, make sure you that's the one thing you need to do, invest your money in a, in a house. Um, and they're they're at a position where they're saying, okay, I'll you know work my ass off and I've got 50 grand, let's say, um, what do I do? Now, today we want to talk about, well, what happens if you put that money into a property, in comparison to what happens if you put that into the stock market? Uh, and obviously, we're talking about, you know, interest rates as of now. We're talking about growth rates as what we know now. Uh, so this may change down the line, but certainly, hopefully, we get a good feel for yeah, what is the best option for someone who has that money, is to save that money, because uh, all we're interested in is obviously what's the return. We don't really care about <laughs> people having a nice garden and having a lovely dog to play. And, you know. All that stuff's irrelevant for us. It's like, right, what's going to get you the money? Because that's what it's all about.
0: Well, it's a good point because it comes down to um, people make decisions two ways, mathematically or or logically or or emotionally. And um, Mm. this, this one fits into that category. Like I think there's a mathematical way to do it. You look at what's a better return, but there's that emotional thing and people are just almost crippled by the idea that they have such a big mortgage or they're in such debt that they want to, just focus on paying that down as quick as they can. Yeah.
1: Mm, yeah. Yeah, which is, yeah, which is um, interesting. It's, yeah, no, absolutely. Now, again, if we go to the Australian context, I know the US is quite different, but um, I was actually just looking on our Instagram feed and one of the people we're connected with um, just has information on properties sold in Australia, or sorry, in Sydney. And um, I was showing my wife here there was a property in in what's inner west sydney which you may not know inner west sydney but if you imagine it's kind of like an inner suburb of a, of sydney you know pretty big city 2.8 million for what looked to be like a two or three bed house on a not particularly big <laughs> lot of land that is astounding like if, and if you'd seen the space field, you would have been like really i mean yeah. and, and you know that that for me i suppose is is let's kick off into the comparison that's one of the really big issues with, with property investment. certainly i speak more locally is is the city market, for example, or Melbourne, a lot of the cities in, in Australia, the prices are so overdone now. I don't even know how you would think you'd be able to get into the market in any reasonable way. Uh, whereas, at least with the stock markets, you can invest—you know—either in shares, so you can buy, you know, full-on shares, or you can buy—is it um, percentages of shares through apps like Stake and things like that? Yeah. So you
0: index fund.
1: What's that say? Just whack it in an index fund. <laughs> <laughs> Or whack it in an index, but exactly. Up, but you can people. invest as little as $50 or as much as if we're talking this 50 grand figure, let's say 50 grand. So that yep. to me is the first protocol is the reality of, of actually getting into places um, that are worth living in and potentially give you a big return, particularly in Sydney, not so much in Newcastle where we're based. I think it's a more reasonable. A 50 grand deposit will get you something. But yeah, that's my first p- protocol is how likely is it for people of our age, and you, you know, there's a lot of talk of the generations kind of in their people in their 20s now never owning a home because it's just so unaffordable in the bigger cities. And that isn't—it isn't just Australia. It's the, I mean, it's the same in the U.S. in the big cities. It's exactly the same. In places that are desirable, it's millions of millions of dollars to yeah. to buy a place. So that'll be my my first comparison point is actually how hard is it to get into one or the other? My view is stock market super simple to get into. Um, but yes, there is that massive issue, that mental block. We are taught where it's hammered into us from such a young age. You have to buy a house. And it's mentally very hard to beat against that. I will make the point, you're renting. I've, I have bought a place. I bought a place in in Newcastle. So just for you know transparency or whatever, I'd be interested to get your take, actually, Phil, on why you're still renting now and whether you are going to buy it, just out of interest.
0: Yeah, well, I was actually almost... Um I was right into property when I was younger, like I was 16, 17. I had a subscription to property investor magazine and I was geared up to do the whole build a property portfolio thing. And then, um, you know, right towards uh, the part where you're about to execute on, on, on the plan. It, it I just couldn't get past how much you had to pay out in fees. Like at the time, the stamp yeah. duty um, yep. was 5% and that's a government fee you pay here in, in New South Wales anyway. And it's um, varies across Australia, but, so for a five hundred thousand dollar place, you're paying twenty five thousand dollars straight up in a in a tax to the government. So yep. that's twenty five grand is gone. Uh, there's a whole heap of other fees, like you know you do your pest inspections, um, which I, I hear are kind of meaningless, um, and there's yep. all these other associated fees that are kind of just don't go anywhere. Um, yep. And then then on top of that, you have to have your deposit to to get into the the property. So. Yep. I kind of turned away from that sort of, um, yeah, turned away from that concept and went into stocks. But, uh, yeah, it's a good question. Do you do you buy a home or do you
1: uh,
0: get an investment property or do you buy a stock portfolio? Um, well,
1: that's right,
0: I will, yeah. I think I will buy a place because of that um, that emotional part.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Because you know, uh, it gets to, I think there's a point in life where, um, you know, you just want a bit of that stability. You don't want don't to know that you're, you know, the landlords decide to move into your property because they, yeah, something in their life sort of changed. You get a bit more of that flexibility um, and a bit more of that, that freedom. But um, I approached it a lot differently. I've got a decent kind of stock portfolio built up.
1: Uh, hmm. Yeah, so it's not, it might be my only asset, I guess. Um, no, uh, and, and, and that's, the, that's for me is the interesting point is you made a decision early on in your life to go down the route of in stocks which meant you have been able to now in your 30s to have that pretty significant stock portfolio. Um, so that makes you better place than most people to say, right, actually, I'm happy to buy a place now because I've built this other alternative form of income. You know, For a lot of people, they won't have that or, or they'll be in their 20s and they'll say, well, you know, I, I want to get onto the, the, the property ladder. Pick it up on a couple of points you made. Yeah, definitely the emotive thing for me. I rented until I was um, in my early 30s. Um, And that was as much because I didn't have kids. And, you know, I was living in London at the time. And, you know, London, the rental scene is is massive. Um, So that whole emotional feel that I had to, because all my friends were doing, it wasn't there. Because most pretty much everyone that that I knew was renting. No one was really buying. A couple of people did, but not a huge amount. So I think that definitely plays into it. If you grow up in a place that is maybe a bit smaller, where a lot more people buy early on in their 20s or whatever, settle down, there's a lot of peer pressure as well.
0: It's it's sort of a side note, but I was talking to someone um, from Germany. She was from Berlin, and she moved out to Australia about 10 years ago. And she said uh, before she moved, the rent on the apartment, like right in the, you know, the heart of Berlin in the the Sydney Mm. part, was €450 a month. (laughs) month, Uh, Yeah. What was that today? Maybe $800 a month? Yeah, 600 seven or
1: something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which which is just insane. I mean, why would you buy (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's your rating. Well, that's it, yeah. That's right. And we, we've talked before. I mean, I, I know quite a few people in Germany, and they they have protected rental schemes. So there's um, cities' rent control, control, yeah. yeah, <coughs> yeah. Which, ironically, that. is also, as you know, in New York. And it's the really interesting thing about New York. is actually buildings, some and some of the, the most famous, you know, right in the center of New York City, and they've got rent controls on them. So the the New York um, local, like the city government, um, you know, created rent controls in these buildings. So there's these buildings that are probably, you know, the flats are worth like, 25 million and someone's paying like a hundred dollars a week or whatever so there is there is that sort of setup which definitely would you know encourage you to rent absolutely and i think as you another point you made about that sort of comfort thing and that knowing that someone can kick you out that is that is a big factor as well because in australia the the housing market system isn't really set up for long-term rental. It's just not really part of it. So there isn't a mechanism to sign a long-term lease um, in any kind of way that would protect you in the same way that, say, and I mean, Germany is an example of completely the other way where it's like home ownership is, is is actually pretty small. But yeah, you know, a place like Germany where, yeah, you, you, you can enter into 20 and 30 year leases on property. So you're kind of going to be there for <laughs> your life or for a fair bit of your life, you know, but that, that isn't in Australia. So I think... All those emotive factors definitely impact on the house buying, but i think they also would impact in stock investing like i said you got into stock investing at a pretty young age which isn't that common obviously we want to encourage more people to do it the earlier you start the more successful it's going to be for you so you're sort of the poster child for doing what we're kind of telling people to do <laughs> which is you know start early with as little as, as you want and just continually put money in and build and build and build and um, so for me that emotive thing it's stocking. So the emotive thing with the house the house buying is I need to buy a house. The emotive thing with stock investing is I don't want to risk the little money I have in my 20s to stock invest. So I think there is that mm. in different ways, there is that psychological barrier that, that sort of, yeah, it makes people go, I have to buy a house and I definitely don't want to stock invest. When actually we're sort of saying, no, it can be the other way around. So you can actually say for 10 years, I'm going to invest in stocks. As you say, invest in an ETF. It's as safe as, you know, you're going to guess, probably as safe as property, if not safer. So invest in an ETF and you'll still get some pretty significant growth and just build that property portfolio. But the best thing to do is to start Start in your, you know, your early 20s when you get your first job.
0: And the other thing that we did, um, we always kept our rent well under 30% of our income. Um, yeah, that's which good. Which kind yeah. of made, you know, a little more cash flow. So at the moment, we're renting for like 400 bucks a week uh, in Newcastle, which is, Fucker all. <laughs> like
1: Nothing. No, absolutely.
0: No, that doesn't go far in, in sort of Sydney or Melbourne.
1: Oh, no. Absolutely. Yeah. Is that? Um, did you find it was, was it hard to get places to meet that criteria?
0: Um, no, we just kind of yeah. went different. I don't know. I don't know if we're lucky or, or what sort of happened, but we moved yeah. around a bit and just found places um, like we put in our criteria and we said, all right, there's no more than this amount. And we just kind of made do we would live in two bedroom units um yeah. yeah just kind of simple not not great suburbs um but yeah that, that's all kind of changed now like with, with transport and, and internet and stuff you're not too sort of isolated like you might have been back yeah. in um, you're still kind of well connected so we're lucky in that sense because a lot of people say you know i may as well be paying off my own um you know my own mortgage than someone yeah. else. yeah and then um yeah, you've got to make sure you're comparing um a fair scenario, you know. If you're gonna yeah. buy a place in, in Bondi in Sydney or something, can your mortgage is fifteen hundred a week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where you can rent somewhere else cheaper, that that's where you've got to make sure you're comparing it, um yeah, comparatively.
1: Yeah, and yeah, and and I think you need to then commit to investing. Like you need to say, I oh, I'm going to invest and it's Back to we've had another podcast where we talk about ways to get money to invest, and you know one of those ways to talk about it is, is look at what you're spending and cutting it down. And I think you know the, the references we make to things like mortgage payments and that, but it's, it'd be the same with rent. It's like, well, do you to, need to live in Bondi or close to Bondi? Can you live you know a couple of kilometers back where you can get a bus to Bondi, but you're paying you know 150 less. it's those choices that particularly at a younger age when you don't mind doing that or, you know, get a share house as opposed to your own flat, you know, um, those choices actually mean you can start to build that income, I think, in a a really good way. Um, So, yeah, interesting. Well, look, let's get back slightly back on topic. I suppose. So that first sort of thing was around psychology where I think there's pull and push factors in both. And the next one, which we sort of covered um, already, which is how easy is to get on both? Uh, in terms of how easy is it to stock invest, how easy is it to buy a property? Obviously, stock investing is a lot easier because, like I said, with a, an app like Stake, it used to be—I think it was a five hundred dollars minimum minimum trade. <clears throat> That's pretty much gone now. So you're at its its stake um is is for Australian people who want to invest in the US it's $50, um, is fifty dollars, and there's other raises. As little as you want to raise, raise is, is a kind of an investing uh, app that that goes to ETFs only, and that's yeah, as little as you want. I think I don't, maybe five dollars minimum. So it's very easy to get into um, investing in terms of buying a property. It's still probably relatively easy, except for the for the costs. So you do need a deposit, and um, so that if you have that fifty grand that we've spoken about, then you know you can probably get that started. But obviously there is still a lot more hurdles to get a property, you need to go and bid and do all that kind of thing and find the right one. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it's a bit of a no brainer. Investing super easy to get into. So we compare the two that way, you'd go with investing.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, investing makes sense in that, that kind of aspect. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, um, I think having that plan, um, probably beyond just the uh, the mortgage as well, because um, uh, what we tend to do is we tend to think of the next step and that's it. Um, mm. So people are like, hey, I'm just going to invest in stocks. But, you know, is there a strategy or is there a focus around that? And, and same with taking on a mortgage. You know, if you're taking on a mortgage, think what's next. Is it just about paying that down over the next 30 years? Is it about paying it down rapidly over the next five and then trying to open up some equity then buying a property portfolio? Is that even possible yeah. now? Um, I know that used to be the thing to do, sort of in the um, early 2000s, where you, you know, you could have an income of 40 grand a year, and then as long as you had all this equity in, in multiple properties, you could unlock it, and then um, you you'd use collateral.
1: Yeah.
0: <clears throat> next one. Um, yeah. So yeah, thinking thinking a bit beyond that um, first mm. purchase, I think it's worth doing because. Um, yeah, we tend to tend to come up with one decision and, and, and think that's it. <laughs> we kind of get yes. it and then it's like five yeah, years yeah. later we're like, okay, so um so what now? Yes,
1: no, no, absolutely. Because that's the thing, if you're gonna go with either, you need you need time. I mean this is the point with both. And I think this is a bit of a um a misnomer uh, around property investing or just buying a property. I'm not even gonna call it investing, just buying the house you live in and selling it. There's so many of these programs on TV, you know, flippers and this, that, and the other, where <clears throat> people think, <clears throat> excuse me, people think you can just go in, you know, buy a really shit run down place. You'll do it up and six weeks later, you're going to sell it for a significant amount of money more. <laughs> now, that is just so wrong, you know. And unfortunately, these programs where they always have, oh, we've had an accident or a problem and we've solved it all. The reality is, if you've ever done building, because I've done a lot of work in my house, if you've got problems, it can either cost a shitload of money to solve, or it takes a shitload of time to solve. Sometimes things aren't that easy, so that's, you know, there is this kind of myth around property investing, and again, it's very much, you know, it's an Australian thing, it's an Irish thing, it's it's an American thing, which is, people go, oh yeah, property, you can't go wrong, you know, you just buy and sell, you flip, everyone flips, you know, this idea of flipping you know, it doesn't really work like that. I think you've rightly pointed out there's a lot of fees when it comes to property, both buying and selling. Um, you know, there's there's taxes and apply them potentially on both ends, so buying and selling. There's all your back and everything you have to pay for all your goods. There's agents fees, there's solicitors' fees, there's building inspection fees, and that's before you've even started doing any maintenance work and you realize how much it costs are actually Work on a property, it's a lot more than you think, particularly if you're getting a trade in to do the work for you. So, all of these myths, and I'm not not saying you can't get it right, you can, but I think a lot of people think with property, oh, yeah, I'm just going to buy a place and I'm going to flip it a year later and I'm going to make a hundred grand. If you actually do your numbers, and we always talk about knowing your market, knowing yourself, knowing your stock, you know, know your numbers. So, if you're actually interested in property investing, take a property you see online that's for sale. Look at the sale price. Work out how much you'd end up paying on top of that property. Then work out, you know, roughly how long it would take to do that. Or what actually? What are you paying in the mortgage for that? There's all these extra factors. So by the end, it sort of nibbles away at all that sort of great big profit you have, and you actually end up with not as much as you think. And I think that myth is something that needs to be broken a bit. And hopefully, you know, we can talk more about this field in another podcast. But I think it's a really important myth. We're not. I'm not saying don't invest in property. I've got an interest in property investment. But it's, it's for a lot of people, they go into it with sort of hat one eye closed and they don't realize actually just how hard it is. You know, there's lots of people who have lost a lot of money in property investment, yet people will say, oh, the stock market, you'll lose your shirt on the stock market. Well, you don't have to. Again, if you, if you know your stock and you, you know you know your market and you know yourself, um, <clears throat> you shouldn't really be losing your shirt. It can happen, but it's pretty unlikely to happen. So I think that myth is something that I want to... So the hopefully somewhat below, you know, with this podcast, it's like property investing definitely isn't as easy as you think, but it's not a, it's not a surefire winner. Well, one I know the, people that are yeah, trying And what's that? One of the things
0: people talk about is you have more control um, in property, but mm. like you have more control than the stock market because, and people that usually say this don't know much about the stock market. But yeah. Think about property, you don't have control over the interest rates. Um, you know, we have a look at the last 20 years have fluctuated anywhere between two and a half percent to probably about eight or nine. You don't have control over the council rates or fees that you have to pay, um, yes. don't have control over the, the quality of tenants, um, you don't have control over the um, law and the legal um, changes. Uh, don't have control about someone building 30 new apartments across the road from you and, and diminishing or adding to the supply and diminishing value. Yes. <laughs> uh, there, there's a whole heap of things in property that you can't control. It, it's not it's not just, um, yeah, just because you don't understand the stock market, you can't just say, oh, you have more control in property. You don't. Like even, you know yourself, even if you want to extend the house and, and build on it, you have to go through a council process to get that done. You don't have control just to wake up
1: no, that's right bedroom. exactly so your 6 week turnaround <laughs> becomes a 6 month turnaround i know from experience because i yeah i work assessing development applications so i can say this kind of thing of myth of yeah that's right stuff is done quickly and easy and oh yeah i'll just get it into council like the shows and then something comes back a week later no chance in hell it doesn't work like that and yeah you might even get into one so yeah i i completely agree i, I do feel and like, particularly with things like the apps that are available, I feel you've got so much more control, so much more micro-control over your stocks, wh- whether you want that or not, you know? You, you can actually, on a daily, and an hourly basis, you can look and buy and sell and move your stocks around. You can go through, through the apps, these apps, and you can sit in your, sit in your home and do it. I think that control is a really big factor, and with that, with knowledge, so you've got the baseline knowledge and then you control what you're doing with your knowledge. You've got an incredible opportunity in the stock market. And absolutely, property doesn't have that. There's a huge amount of external factors, cycles. There's everything going on. So and you yeah. can
0: generally get out of a bad uh, stock investment quicker than a bad property
1: investment. Mm. Massively. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a very good point. Uh, it's a very good point. Uh, absolutely. If the market goes, you're sort of, screwed really you in in property i mean that's always if the market goes in stocks yeah you'll you lose money but if you're sort of on it you'll get out. you can get out within you know an hour whereas with the property it doesn't really work like that so no I completely um the next one is probably worth talking about then so we've sort of talked about the kind of psyche mindset things like that and um, one thing which i'm sure everyone's interested in is the um the return from both property and stock investing. Now, I don't know if you got the info there, Phil, but I know previously you pulled up a couple of graphs over the longer period, so like a, I think it was like a 20-year period of um, the return, the average return from property in, in Australia in comparison to the average return uh, from the ASX, I believe it was. And it was actually quite interesting. And I don't know, again, I don't know if you've got it, got it there or not, but. Um, from, from my memory of that film, what it showed was firstly, they were pretty close in terms of the returns, but the stock market, I believe, actually performed better than property, which was interesting to me, given you know, what I know about the Australian property market and the booms and things like that. But obviously, this is over a longer period of time, and it's an average across all sectors. So it doesn't take into account that Sydney in a suburb that's blown up by 400% in whatever, three years. It takes everything as an average, which I think is a fair way of looking at it. But yeah, from memory, it did show that the stock market actually, um, as I say, was was a better, gave a better return than property.
0: It's, yeah, and it's um, interesting that you highlight that because I think you were telling me this, that you have different pockets. Like you might have a cousin that bought in Western Sydney and the property's gone up tenfold in the last week or something as a hyperbole. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah but yeah. when you flatten it out across sort of all these different um, uh, housing markets, and there's multiple housing markets in Australia. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's when the average isn't actually, uh, you know, sort of that great. But it, it's probably around 10% um, is sort of the average um, over a 30-year period until about 20 um, 2015, 2016, I think that was. Um, so it's probably diminished since then because of the market's gone down.
1: Yeah, it's slowed down. Um,
0: and then property, um, uh, not property stocks, is is a little bit higher um, because we're one of the best dividend-paying um, stock markets in the world. Mm. Um, and, and in Australia, it's um, I think the average return from the market is about seven and a half percent over a long period of time, um, and, and our average dividend is about four percent. So.
1: Um, mm.
0: It's kind of pushing upwards of twelve twelve percent of return for the Australian stock market
1: and and um internationally is just a lot bigger. Yeah, right. So yeah, that, that almost sort of surprises me again, and this is about myth busting as much as anything else. People assume the property market because what they see is what the press wants you to see. It's you know, it's what people who are selling things related to property want you to see, which is, oh, this one was, you know, sold for four hundred thousand dollars two years ago is now sold for six hundred thousand dollars. So you have this this story, this myth around property that every property does that, and it doesn't. I mean, at any one time, if if you have an interest in property in Australia, um, you can. There's a thing called the, the, the property clock, which is really interesting. It, it tells you at any time in the year and um, what markets are going up and what markets are going down. In effect, and it uses the clock as a way to sort of explain it. It's a really it's a really good way to um, explain this sort of what's happening around. This all around Australia, and what you'll find is even though on the one half of the clock things are all going up, there is a corresponding number of cities on the on the other side of the clock that are going down. You know, it's not a case of everything is being lifted equally. And um, so, sure, Sydney and Melbourne has have seen huge rises in property. And again, that's not across all of the suburbs in those areas. There'll be less across other areas. Um, but then you'll find other cities. You know, Brisbane has had a crash. Perth is is still in a crash. Is just coming out of it. So. This idea that, you know, everything in Australia is just going to go up gangbusters is 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 wrong. It's a fallacy. Um, well, one of the <clears> like, things um, I picked up
0: early is that just because you make money doesn't mean that you made money. And a lot of people do this with property. They'll be like, oh, I bought a house for $80,000 and it's now worth 350000 okay. bucks." Meanwhile, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> and if you look at the time value yeah. of money, it actually hasn't kept up with inflation and I, I went back yes. and did a bit of a test on even the Sydney market um, from the 80s till the, uh, 2015, 2016 um, and I think it kind of worked out 8% um, was the average return um, over that period of time uh, because uh, the reason being um, it was like in the 80s you bought a place for $80,000. Um, so your break-even point um, was three hundred thousand dollars. So that means that because of inflation, your eighty, your property that you bought for eighty thousand needed to be worth at least three hundred thousand dollars in that time period just to break even.
1: Yeah, um, yeah I get you.
0: And that's kind of um, accentuated by high interest rates in the late eighties, early nineties. So you know, if you look at eighty thousand dollars to a to a million dollar property, well, you take away three hundred grand because that's just keeping up with your money. That's just yeah. keeping the same value, so it's seven hundred thousand, and then you break that up over, uh, you know, sort of that thirty-year period, um, and then you you look at all your outgoings as well. You know, you have to pay all your rates um, and your expenses, and let's yeah, say,
1: maintenance, uh, yeah, for
0: um, just to kind of do some general fixing up of the house. Um, yeah, I worked it out. It actually worked out about eight percent per year after all costs, mm. and inflation, and everything was taken into account. It just yeah. sounds impressive that you bought a house for. 88,000. Wow, what an investment. You can't beat that. Well, this is
1: it. Oh, picture. Yeah, I I like that because it's also the thing that people like to tell everyone. Oh, yeah, you know, I bought, oh, yeah, because Newcastle people do it all the time. This property was cheap here. People go, oh, yeah, well, I bought my place like 15 years ago for 100 grand. I'm going to sell it at a million now. (laughs) So, So people like that story. They like to be able to tell that story. And I now understand it's 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 complete nonsense. I mean, the, as you say, the money, the numbers are correct, but what's what they're not talking about is all of those expenses. It's it's time you've spent doing your place up. It's money you've spent doing your place up. It's all of the bills and all that stuff. And the other thing, which of course we've spoken about, is equal. If you buy, if you own a property and you sell it, you need to buy a your property. Well, you always need somewhere to live. Yeah, you always need somewhere to live. So. What do you do then? Okay, you you can rent, but then you're spending money on rent. But, like, the reality is it's not. like For most people, they'll, you know, buy a house that they they live in and then they'll go and buy another house that they want to live in. So where's the benefit in terms of your money?
0: I used to do it a bit in North Sydney um, kind of financial consulting and people would be selling their $2.5 million houses in, like, Pennant Hills, northern Sydney suburb, and they either downsize to a $2 million place (laughs) <laughs> in the same <laughs> they'd go from four-bedroom to, like, two-bedroom wow. unit. Or they'd have to move up to the coast here about two hours away Um, where where they'd buy, like, a magnificent house for a million bucks and still have one yeah. and a half million left. So, um, yeah. yeah, if you want to maintain your same social circles, your same, you know, yeah. when, they, when you're at that age, like, your health network's important, you know, your doctor and your specialist. Um, oh, yeah. Is key to have around, so that was that was kind of their decisions. You stay there and you have a little bit of cash left over from downsizing, yeah. um, or uh, you have to move to a, a you move
1: sort of away, way, yeah,
0: uh, was a general sort of thing because, yeah, you, you, you have to, yeah, you have to have somewhere to
1: live, yeah, absolutely. And again, if we talk about psyche, most people won't sit on a house for 15 years and then sell it and invest that money that they've made and then rent cheaply. That's not, you know, that's not human nature. We always want to get bigger and better. If, you, if you've if you owned a home or you've, you've, you know, owned a home through the bank, you'll want to own another home through the bank and you want that new home to be bigger. You know, that's the other side. So it, there is the downsizing element, but most people our age, we're upsizing. So, you know, we're going from two bed, three bed, four bed, to farm or whatever it is. So every time you're doing that, that money that you have is just going straight back into the property. So you haven't actually made it. What you've done is you've turned that money into a nicer house for you, but you don't actually get any material benefit. You still have to pay all the maintenance, still have to pay all of the fees, everything. You know, it's, you're know, yeah. you back to square one in effect. And what you have is a nicer house, but you'll probably end up paying a higher mortgage on top of everything else. So, yeah, I think that, that, that that's the kind of, certainly it's part of the kind of mix. It is that cycle of of, sort of property. Now, what I... I'm oh, going. No, I was just going to say, uh, just to to flip that slightly. I will make the point though, because a lot of people will go, "Well, you're just you're just bashing property ownership and whatever investing." There are opportunities in property, and I think my take on it is there is opportunity in property where you can make a significant amount of money, and um, in a way that if, if if and you really need to know the market, you need to know how things work. But if you're willing to put a bit of hard work in, you can actually get that return um, quicker, in my view, than you could with the stock market. So if you get the, and this is all on the proviso that you get the right market, you get you know the worst house and the best street in an area that's coming up, and you're willing to put work in to add value to that property. So painting it up isn't really, it adds a little bit of value, but if, if you're willing to actually roll up your sleeves and say, you know, improve the inside, change the kitchen, change the bathroom, add a room, whatever it is, you can actually get a significant uplift in value relatively quickly. And I think in comparison to stock investing, um, it's it's, it's you, you can do quicker than most sort of investing, I would say. I,
0: I think it's sort of a way to kind of summarise everything and, and sort of wrap it up is um, I'm not particularly um, uh, aligned to either kind of way. Um, mm. I do like I do like stocks um that's kind of obvious given kind of what we teach people yeah, I hope but, so. <laughs> but the, the, the thing is to have a strategy i find people struggle when they just buy a house for the sake of of buying the place because that's what they're told to do and just kind of going through and not sort of yeah. questioning it you know if you want to start building that wealth you've got to think beyond just that house like how are you going to utilize that house are you going to leverage that into another investment property you're going to leverage it into a portfolio you're going to leverage it into buying a business you know put your house up as collateral to to buy a small business and, and grow your mm. wealth that way i find um yeah when people max out they go into mortgage stress paying 60 70 of their income to maintain this mortgage and this beautiful beach house and you know this really good lifestyle but they're not don't have any cash flow left over i think that's where people really get into a lot
1: of trouble yeah no sweet i spot on Exactly the same in investing. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's all about strategy, which, which is exactly what we talk about on all the training courses. Everything we talk about is that getting that mindset shift into setting out your terms in which you're going to operate, and not relying on other people's terms. Jay, yeah, you're going to figure that out. So, yes, yeah, spot on, very much so.
0: I just have one last summarising thought. Um, mm. Mark Boris, a uh, famous property investor, yep. uh, entrepreneur here, he says, uh, property never goes to zero. Uh, which is a good point uh, but a stock without yeah. a stock that doesn't have debt
1: that also won't go to zero yeah there we go <laughs> I like it nice way to finish right yes. good <laughs> awesome <laughs> so um, thank you all for listening as always uh, hopefully that blew a couple of myths don't come shouting and screaming at us we have talked about. The property market and how not buying a house is, is actually a good thing in a lot of ways, and we we generally get a lot of feedback, most of it negative, uh, but you know Especially some stuff in there as well. Exactly, um, yeah, true. Uh, so yeah, thank you all for listening. Hopefully, it gave you a couple of ideas. It made you get a sense of what what one and the other is. If you've got any questions, you know, don't forget we're on Facebook, Chicky Investor. Just shoot us a message on their DM. Hugely active group, so much chat going on. It's it's really good, really interesting. And fills the the expert, the in-house expert, and he's always happy and ready to answer um, questions. We've also got a website, which is which is awesome. Has all of our offers, everything on there, all of our information, courses, everything. CheekyInvestor.com. Don't forget to hop on there, have a look. Just check us out, you know, see what you think. There might be something that takes your fancy. And as always, thank you so much for listening. Your support is really good. And yeah, we definitely want to make sure we catch you next time. All right, so sweet.